welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Robert Miller and he's CEO at Wellbeing Software, and that is the UK division of Citadel Health. It's home to the UK market's most popular radiology system uh, in Chris and the leading maternity information system in Euroking. Uh, so Wellbeing's on a mission to create a healthier society through world-class technology. They've got a fast-growing presence in the UK pathology market and in the process of delivering the NHS Wales, all of country, LIMS, L-I-M-S, and NHS Scotland National Laboratory Medicine Framework. That is a mouthful. Uh, Robert, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. You're up to lots of different things, and you did say you were busy. Um, and I, I often say that, actually, well-being or Citadel is probably like the, the, the most important company in the country that health tech people have probably never heard of because of like all the stuff that you do in the background. Um, but as I say, Robert, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, James, and it's great to get a chance to speak to you this, this afternoon. Um, and it's interesting you say, James, about our, the, you know, the least well-known in the country. We are doing something about that. We are um, in the early stages of our rebranding. Um, so watch this space. More to come in the future. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, you guys are part of the fabric, aren't you? You're part of so many, so much infrastructure that just leads to so much impact, I guess. Like how, how does a, how does a, a person get a scan, the scan get to the clinician that gets to different referral systems, like action, you know, information is action. Like you're, you're part of so much that is just fundamental to healthcare and I suppose that's why I, I say, like, you know, the most popular you've never heard of is because actually people probably use a lot of this without looking at a logo, you know, um, or without knowing actually the impact that you're yeah. having. And so you know, even when I think back to being being a clinician, you don't really think, you know, well, how does that how does that get from there to there? Like, how, how does that information get across or, or, or how does that referral happen? Or you know, it's, it's just never it's just never part of it. But. Yeah. You know, you take a step back and, and, you know, now being in the business part of it for so long, like you just kind of think like, yeah, there's a lot of infrastructure here, a lot of, a lot of uh, systems that have to stand up. So, um, yeah, congrats to you. Anyway, I digress already. Robert, the way that we start these, uh, as you probably know, is that we get you to tell a bit of your story. You've, you've obviously, um, you've got a, a very interesting background that's led you now to CEO of, you know, one of the biggest and brightest health tech companies doing great work in, in, in the UK. So I'm interested, what is your background? How did you get to this point? And did you always have one eye on being a CEO of, of a large health tech company or is this, uh, is this is this a plan of following your nose and here we are? I'll give you the abbreviated version because when you get to my age, it can take a long time <laughs> to walk you through all of it. Um, I, I mean, background-wise, I'm an electronics design engineer to background, so I started a long way from any of this um, and have had in the early stages some various and interesting roles. I worked in designs of nuclear power stations. I even spent a number of years um, as a engineer supporting nuclear submarines in the Holy Lock in Scotland um, with things like, you know, class one US, US security clearance and things. So a, a varied um, early stage background and got into healthcare IT probably 
late 80s, early 90s, from a technical perspective, I was a field service manager for a company in Scotland who provided all of the IT, all of the equipment that the Scottish Health Service would run for the systems it built for itself. So for those of that are old enough, they was in things like COBOL and PIC technologies and things like that. And that was so that was my entry in really into the world of healthcare IT and was quite comfortable in that in that world and in that environment. And I, the company I worked for, I was small enough to have the opportunity, we were small enough to have the opportunity to dabble in a few mm-hmm. things. So as well as doing that, I ran the Scottish office. I got involved in some of the project deliveries, some of the sales and moved more and more into the sales side. And then decided that I would try and test. One of the very difficult things to do is just to work out whether or not you can only do the job you're doing where you're actually working or whether you're actually a professional of that industry and can do it in multiple places. So I chose to leave, went off, joined another company, again, selling healthcare IT systems um, that got acquired by IBM. And going into IBM was an entirely different world than anything I had ever encountered before. And so, again, you learn a whole new skill set. You're going into somewhere of that size and scale. Um, And, again, our our industry is an incredibly small industry. Um, I was working within IBM, had the opportunity to go and do some work for the Scottish office um, about um, an organization that was set up called um, Scottish Software Marketing. So how do we take Scottish innovation across the world, um, working with local companies in Scotland, taking them into other markets? And by pure coincidence, one of the companies I went to talk to was run by my old boss from IBM. And and I went to work for a company in the UK called Telepath. Um, And Telepath were by far the market leaders in pathology. By coincidence, they're probably based about 10 miles from where I'm sitting here in Mansfield (laughs) at the moment. That led through a series of acquisitions. So I went from Telepath into a company called ACT Medicis. And then probably the most material step was into iSoft. So I joined iSoft in probably 2000, relatively small in the grand scheme of things. Ex-KPMG had been a MBO out of KPMG and worked with with that organization for 13 years, had a whole range of different roles within it from originally from pathology sales manager um, up into running the sales team for the UK and a gradual progression of skills and expertise. I had some great, I have to say, some great mentors and some great colleagues to work with. I'm a great believer, James, in there's only ever a small group of people run any business. It doesn't matter whether you're G, Microsoft, you know, whoever it is, there's a small inner circle. Do you know what on this, Robert? Let me ju- let me just jump in a sec. Do you know what I heard uh, or actually saw on a video the other day? There's a, a law or a theory. It's an eponymous theory. I can't remember the name of it, but it states that the square root of the total number of employees does half the work. Yeah, and I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine that's, yeah. And, and, and I think... I think a business, a successful business has to run that way. And and that's been my experience, I suppose, all the way through my career. I was very fortunate to be, I would say at least on the outer circle, if not even in the the inner circle was, you know, clearly like any business, there was a group of founders. And and what that gave me the opportunity, that was during the days of things like the National Programme for IT. It gave me an opportunity to operate at a pace and scale 
and to be able to touch things that I had never had the mm. opportunity to do in any other organization. And I think that was probably the foundation for why I sit where I sit today. Mm. I think that was an organization that gave me the opportunity to be able to extend my reach to whatever my extent of capability was. I remained with them, as I say, for 13 years. When I left, I left at the point when um, iSoft was acquired by CSC. Mm. I was at that point president of the US business and group commercial director. And and interestingly went to the op- opposite end of the spectrum. I think I was employee number six or something of a startup. Now, when I left iSoft, we had four and a half thousand employees. I often say, James, it's interesting when you go to the other end, when you look in the mirror, that's where the book stops. Mm. And again, I think that was an interesting experience for me. When you look in the fridge and there's no milk, there's only a small number of you. One of you is going out for a pint of milk. <laughs> it's an entirely different world that you live in at that point in time. And again, that was a great learning experience for me. And I had spent a lot of time working in the US or so target market was in the US and being very open and personalizing. I left the company because my, my father was ill. It wasn't appropriate to be spending weeks and weeks out of the country, came back to the UK, helped the, the business transition someone else into the role and moved to a UK position. I joined um, Allscripts in the UK at that oh, time yeah. as sales director. So I joined as the sales director, again, taking over from someone who had done a tremendous job of establishing the business in the UK. My role was to scale it, brought in a team, start to build the UK sales team up, scaled that. And then within that organization, moved into a global role. So mm. all scripts, track classes, everything outside of the US as international, even Canada isn't included in, the, in North They don't have a North America, they have a US I ran the commercial division of all of those areas outside the US. Again, great opportunity for experience. Um, was also MD of the Asian business towards towards the end of that. And had probably intentionally never taken the role of a, C, a chief executive. Interesting. And I think I had not taken that role for a number of reasons. I'm not I'm not a breadth person who likes to be able to have a thin view. I like to have mm. depth. I like to understand what the business is and what I'm doing in the business. And I think that had been um, one of the reasons that I had been reluctant to take the opportunity to move forward into the CEO role. When I met with my current boss, Mark McConnell, who's one of the founders and is the group CEO, I think for the first time I've seen an organization that had the same ambition that I had seen in ISOF and an organization that, that wanted to and was capable of doing the things that healthcare needs and decided to make that step over the line and joined in March of last year. I have around 200 staff here in the UK, hugely supported by our colleagues overseas. We were working through um, the transition of many of the staff into the UK business as we speak from a pathology perspective. We're market leader, as you said at the start, by a long way in the radiology space. So an interesting organisation to start to wrap my arms around to understand, to be able to take to the next the next level. That was the potted history of yeah. how I got to where I am. It's, re- it's really interesting because actually you, you called it out yourself, what, what I was going to call out, you'd intentionally not become a CEO. It strikes me that you've, well, we'll look at that path, right? So starting with engineering, 
and then quite deliberate, I think, sales. And then you go through this acquisition or, you you know, from sixth employee to four and a half thousand, you've seen small company, you've seen big company. Yeah. I'll talk about accountability when there's six of you in a second, because I think that's an important one. You talk about opportunity as well, National Programme for IT and other things, but then also, there's there's more senior roles here, group commercial director and, and US and global and all these different things. You've pieced together this this like all-star list of, I suppose, job titles that sort of are around the CEO. What what gave you the confidence to then actually go and do it? What gave you the confidence to go like, actually, no, that this this company's actually better in my hands now? Was there a moment? Was it was it a gradual thing? Like, talk, was it a leap? Talk to me about that. I think it was a progression. I mean, we we all go through an interview process at various points in times, and you 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 start those processes with no great intent to what the outcome at the end of it will be. It's very rare that something lands on your lap that is this is my perfect role. Mm. And I think that was. I mean, again, maybe being being brutally honest about it, Altera, as as all scripts is now known, was in the early stages of its. Um, acquisition by constellation. Mm. You never know the outcome of those things. So I suppose I'm a great believer in trying to ensure that people never take that first phone call. Because I think when people take yeah. that first phone call from the headhunter, they're potentially on a path. And I genuinely don't take that first phone call. Thanks for the interest, but I'm happy where I, where I am. Mm. And I suppose, firstly, there was a timing question. I think it was when I got into the conversations with the team from Citadel about where they were, what they were doing, I think it was also the fact that I recognised this business. So we have great brands here in wellbeing. We have the HSS Chris Radiology System. We've got the Euroking Maternity System. We have the Apollo business that is the market leader in data management and data extraction. They were all brands that I have worked with over many, many years through my ISOF days, through my Allscripts days. You know, we bid from Allscripts, we bid with Euroking for maternity. They were all brands that I understood and recognised. And what I also, I suppose, understood was they were still very much back where Telepath had been in the late right. 90s. They were still running as an independent business I'm a great believer in these systems are all enablers for better healthcare to be, and, mm. I, and I don't mean that in a glib statement. The products and the solutions that we as the vendor community provide are there to actually help someone deliver better healthcare. Mm. And lots of silos of systems, which is what wellbeing was made up from, mm. is far less valuable to the end users, which yes. at the end of the day are all of us as patients. And they were, it was an untapped opportunity to bring an organization together mm. with what's happening in pathology that we have, the radiology, and actually bring that together to actually take it to the next step. And I think that was the thing that really excited me. This was, and, I've, and I have been given and supported massively by the, the, the group and at a board level to actually change and transform mm. the business. And I think mm. that was what excited me about it, James. It wasn't just, I'm not somebody who just come in and run it. Mm. You know, I want to be. I want to have my hands on it. You know, uh, the, the, and that was the frightening piece. That was, I suppose, the scary piece of taking on this role because yeah. you can't know everything about or, about the organisation. So yeah. that's what kind of pushed me over the line. That's what that's partway through yeah. those conversations. 
So you're grabbed by you, yeah you're 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 grabbed by those brands, the story, the 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 desire, the the familiarity of those brands, but then also I suppose the familiarity that then leads to the vision that you have for what this could be, and then you're then you're going towards something. Then you're and then and then actually that's interesting with the next thing we'll talk about, which is the accountability thing, because then it's almost like you're grasping the accountability. You actually want the accountability rather than it being given to you of like, well, you're now accountable for this. It's more like you saying, well, hey, actually, I see the way forward here. I actually see a better vision for what this all could be. And I want to be accountable for delivering that. And actually, you're welcoming that accountability more. So I, I really, I really like that. And I suppose that that perhaps is answer number one to my next question, which is, in your opinion, what makes a good CEO? Because I like that accountability thing. I like that that story you told there about, you know, if there's no milk in the fridge, there's only six people in that first scenario. One of one of them is getting milk and, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not doing anything, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and get it. And, and nobody's too fancy to do it. Not like, oh, I'm more senior, so actually you should go and get the milk or any yeah. of that stuff, you know? And like you just talked about there, you know, wanting this new challenge, but not to come in and run it to actually get your hands on it and to really mould this in your vision. I like that. So there's that accountability thing. And I suppose there's action and there's a lot of other other good elements, I suppose, baked into that in terms of leadership. But what what do you think makes a good CEO? I think, I mean, a number of factors, and, and I'm probably the one of the least experienced people to tell you that, <laughs> having been in the job for less, less than a year. But I can give him, a, like most things, I'll have an opinion on, on on it. And I think for me, it is about the leadership. Mm. People people want leadership. I mean, I, I, and I know this is a very simple thing to, to say, but if you look at the titles, you know, people are directors of businesses because they direct. People want to be, where are we going? Where are we heading? When I talked about iSoft, I think the thing that made that company stand out above everything in the industry at that point in time was the visionary capability it had through its its senior leadership. It didn't Mm. talk about where we were going next year. It's talked about where healthcare care should be in 10 years. It was was a real visionary organization. And I think that's about the leadership piece of it. I think it's important that people understand and, and are aligned on where the business is going. I think people have to understand where the role is within that. I think mm. it's really hard to come to work every day and not know why you're doing that. Mm. Um, we all come to we all come to work for the money that we get paid for everything we do with, but you have to have a purpose when you when you come to work. And I think that for me is an important piece of mm. the leadership piece. There's been many occasions when over the years when we've been doing things like we were responding to enormous tenders and when I mentioned about the national program for IT those were incredibly trying times those were genuinely you know 18 hours a day seven days a week for a a small group of people if the only thing I could be doing is buying the pizzas and making the coffee I'd still be in the office with the team making that happen and I think that's the bit it's we're all we're all make going to make this happen we're all pushing to achieve this and my management team would absolutely tell you I hold people accountable, including myself. I, I genuinely think you have to do that. I think if you're going to operate as a senior leadership team, you have to demonstrate that when you say this is what we're doing, this is where we're going, you are held accountable for that. You report to that. We, I run monthly all hands with the, with the, um, the employees in the country. And on a monthly basis, I talked about where we are against our targets, how are we performing, where mm. we're failing, what we're doing mm. about it. Those are the areas that I think that are important. 
But I think it's also, and this is hard to do, but I try to get to know the people in the business. So everyone who joins, I try to meet within the first month that they're here. I run coffee mornings, you know, come and have a Friday coffee with the CEO, with a bunch of people. It's to try and get to know what people are doing, what they're thinking, what they're saying. I've often said, you know, and we'll no doubt touch on it because it always has to come in. I have a 97-year-old mother who has a parallel to life with, with the Queen and four children and all this sort of stuff. Uh-huh. And one of the things that I've often thought about with the Queen is the Queen always thought the world smelt of paint because in front of her there was a man with a paintbrush making sure everything was spotless and looked really <laughs> nice. And I don't want to live in that world as the CEO of this business. If it's broken, tell me. If I'm breaking it, tell me even faster. Mm. And I do think those are important things that we can do. So, pra- so yeah, and I like that because that's practical as well. Because I was going to ask, you know, as a leader, how do you practically do that? But clearly that's with, you want you want information, you want the true, there's, there's two sides of this, right, I think, that you, you want the right information coming to you that therefore you can then act on for the business correctly. And then in order to do that, you are then holding people accountable to high standards, including yourself. And that, I suppose, gives you both sides of the coin because you're getting the right information through. You can then decide what the what the best course of action is and then you know how and then you're practically holding people to those high standards that is incredibly important one thing that you mentioned before was this concept of breadth versus depth as well and as and as an executive you're afforded more of the depth and perhaps a ceo you have to choose where the depth is perhaps or perhaps you tell me that actually the best way is to remain pure breadth i don't know how do you view that now as ceo that breadth versus depth conversation and it's a tough one because it's very easy to get into the detail of the things that you understand you're comfortable with yeah and that you like right that you like (laughs) sometimes even if you don't like it james you you, it's easier to go there because it's you know yeah you know everyone will tell you you know i'm a great excel spreadsheet person you know but that doesn't help you help the, the product management team who are no. trying to struggle about where we should take the product for the next the next generation of the solutions. And I think it's it's easy to get into your own comfort zone. And mm. I think that's the thing that is probably most difficult. Uh, I've been having a conversation, strangely, about this today. I, I wouldn't know what good looks like within our engineering department. And I'd mm. put my hands up and quite happily say, I need help from other people who are the experts in that area. But what I do know is what I don't understand and what I'm not able to do and where I do need people to come and help me to those with that next level of detail. And I think that's how I'm trying to manage the breadth, depth piece of it Mm. is make sure that I have a good understanding across the entire organization. But that may be by using external help in certain areas rather than, I suppose, my own understanding and knowledge in those areas. But it's a tough challenge because the other piece of which is, a huge piece of my role, which I don't spend enough time doing because I haven't got you know, um, a lot of the capacity in place to do mm. what we're doing, is the client-facing piece. The most important yeah. part of all of this is why are we doing any of it? Who's it Who's it for? It's for our clients. And like every supplier in the industry, we drop the ball. You know, I, I'm a great believer in it's not about dropping the ball. It's about what you do when you drop the ball. All yeah. organizations do things wrong. Um, I think the the test of a really good supplier, whether that's a hotel, a restaurant, a software company, no matter what industry you're in, is how do they deal with it when it's not working? Mm. 
And that's an area we're focused on. How do we do that better? And I'll put my hands up and say better um, because it isn't to the standard that I'd like it to be at the moment mm. because ultimately the clients are where the most important um, feedback will come from in any of this. I love that. So let's talk about some of those clients. Let's talk about some of the work that you're doing um, and I guess the space that you operate in and how you how you see it. So whether it's pathology, whether it's maternity, whether it's, you know, the other places that, that you operate, how, how do you view the world of healthcare? You see, you've seen it from everywhere. You know the problems. We can talk about interoperability. We can talk about lack of communication, siloed data. We could talk about any one of these number of things, but I guess broadly, Robert, with your view of this, how, how do you how do you see the world of healthcare? I mean, I actually am really, really positive about it. I mean, and and I don't just mean this from an NHS perspective, but we're hugely proud of what we what our NHS does for us, and I do think it's really easy to knock and be and to, and to criticise. I think it's too easy to do that. Actually, I, I genuinely and, do, and, and I completely agree. I can I completely agree. I think what we do. And I mentioned earlier, I have a 97-year-old mother. I'm I'm stunned at some of the the joined-up healthcare that she has access to. In she, she still lives in Scotland. She is in the last week had to go to hospital. Her GP had her uh, you know, admitted into the local hospital. By the time she got there, all the information was known. She, uh, you know, she got her meds were 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 electronically sent through to her local pharmacy, and within an hour of her getting back home, her meds were at her door. That's joined-up healthcare. That's yep. hugely impressive. And at 97, she couldn't manage any of that on her own. She couldn't manage the technology that would have supported all of that. But everything is in place to allow that to happen. And that's the way I think it's really encouraging because I think we see more and more value in the information and data. I've always been a great believer, James, in these systems are largely for two things. They're about, they're about managing workflow and resources so have we got the right people in the right place and at, yep. at the right point in time we've got the right equipment have we got a theater booked etc 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 but the real value is about what you do with the information that's all been collected I, i'm a great believer in the more we move towards preventative rather than curative the better it will be for us all because you can't you can't build and maintain and fund an organization that can be curative for the for the life expectancy of people nowadays you have to work out how to make healthcare more into people's own hands and for us all to be able to actually influence that and to be healthier. And the, and the way you can do that is through huge volumes of joined up and connected information. It isn't about, and I've had this conversation this morning with our marketing team, um, it isn't about integration of systems. It's about integration of data. It isn't about whether... You know, this is one holistic journey through healthcare that all of these systems are able to be bolted together to provide. That that's important, but the information that comes from them is what's vitally important. Because if you can have someone coming to a hospital and know that all of their radiology results, all of their maternity, all of their pathology results, all of the information that the treating physician needs at the point of care is going to be there, that's a hugely different experience than, well, I'm really, really sorry, James, but you'll need to come back three weeks on Tuesday because I haven't got your your um, blood work. Mm. And I think that's about the information flow 
not necessarily just connecting and joining all the dots in the systems. So I'm really encouraged by it because I see that as hugely different. So just on that, that's quite interesting. So that discrepancy, that conversation that you just had with your marketing team there about the dif- the difference between the two, I guess because what we've just talked about in terms of your your role as CEO is about vision and to make sure people are going to the right place. That's You've pinpointed that as something which is quite important, that difference of language. That difference of language to you is incredibly important. Why? So that's my question, why? So what what are those two worlds? What, what world do you want to go towards versus the one that you don't? What's the systems world where people obsess about that yeah. versus what's the data world where people obsess about that? Tell me the difference between those two and tell me why that's such an important thing to discern for your marketing team. I, I think if I step, I step back slightly in it, if you think about the what's happening, the landscape in many geographies, including the UK, is moving towards electronic patient records, electronic health records, whatever the acronym is, um, we're talking about joined up systems. Enormous investment, you know, positive benefits flowing from, from all of these things, but the end result doesn't have to be achieved by just having one big system that does it all. There's been lots of really, really successful, if I look at things like what's happened in Gloucester, there's been some things in Medway recently where they've taken existing systems and brought them together to deliver um, incredibly um, complex systems that are joined up from both an information and a technology perspective. I mean, I think integration is about the, the integration of the technology, the information flow. It doesn't matter where it came from and how it got there. It doesn't have to all be, we have to make sure everything is fire standards. We have to make sure everything is done in the same manner. We'll evolve to there, but that doesn't mean that we can't find other ways to make the same information available. So for me, the the key differentiator is if the way to solve the problem is to ensure that the systems can bolt together, talk together, or just be one system, great. Don't start from there. Start from Uh, the point of what's the problem I'm trying to solve at the end, because is the data available from some other means? I I can go go back in that, James, a long way back into my telepath days. And in Greater Glasgow Health Board, who are both a radiology and a limbs client of ours, they were trying many years ago to solve what was in its early stages of order communications. How did they get all of the information that came with the specimens to the right place at the right point in time to be able to be processed. The resulting solution of all of that, a man with a van. <laughs> they didn't need to solve it with the technology, which is where we started. They found the best solution to solve that problem was to actually put a physical resource in place to do the transportation of not just the specimens, but the paperwork that went with it. Now, the world has moved on massively. We obviously all use electronic communications, order communications, results reporting. But I suppose in a lot of it, what my my view of it is, we don't have to sit and wait for the technology to catch up. We can solve some of these things in a different way. I'm hugely encouraged by the trusted research environments and the secure data environments that are being created, bringing together the data. I think the next big piece about that is how do we help educate people about the consent and the use of that data? Because at the end of the day, this is all about how do we use this enormous, rich source of information that the NHS collects to treat all of us better? 
Um, and that's why I say it's, for me, it's about the information being brought together rather than the technology behind doing that that's really important. It's quite encouraging for, I suppose, quite a lot of entrepreneurs listening, actually, that we, <laughs> do you know what? It, it's It's such a dull conversation about interoperability all the time <laughs> like i know i know i shouldn't say that <laughs> but it but it is and i suppose i get frustrated with it because i think it's one of those panels at a, at a conference where like everyone just says the same things and we know it's hard and okay and, yep. and blah, blah blah whereas i, I I like your take on that just because I think it's just, it's about not having assumptions and it's about, it's about innovating. It's not about technology or the latest gadget or the latest thing, but that as a philosophy is far more about not having assumptions and just finding a way. And I think that that's important. And I I think, I I think that's something that perhaps even on this podcast, maybe we, I guess, don't pay enough attention to, which is that at the end of the day, maybe the best solution isn't a tech one. But in this, but in this interoperability thing, I, I think that that is just an interesting take that's, I suppose, reframed it in my mind, which is that the default might always be to link systems. Whereas actually, can you get the data another way? That's such an interesting phrase. Like, could you get that data much easier a different way? And go from there. And I'm, again, don't don't take it negatively, James. I'm not saying that the epic Cerner's all scripts of the world are sure, the wrong sure, thing. Sure, I come sure. from that background. And yeah, yeah. and if I look at some of what is happening around the country, I, I'm hugely supportive of the investment that's going in mm. to those things. But don't always rip the plumbing out just to get to the same end result. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, under, work out For me, work out what it is that we need to achieve. And you can have that in a number of steps as well. Do we have to wait to the end point or can we actually make the information available at the right point? It, for me, it's all about we, how do we deliver the right information at the right point in the care cycle? Because at the end of the day, it's between two people. It's between the clinician and the patient. Mm. The rest of us, we're all here. And I, mean, I genuinely mean this as a supplier in the community that has been serving this industry for a long time. We're there to serve the industry and deliver a service to them. The end result is a clinician and a patient. So my final question for you, Robert, on this, all roads have been leading here based on what you said. So whether it's radiology, whether it's pathology or whether it's maternity, and perhaps you want want to pick one and go more practical, I don't know, but I want to know what is your vision for the way that those services are provided to patients? You've mentioned your 97-year-old mother. You've, you're connected to a lot of experiences that she is having currently with her own health and her own care. And so you have yeah. a re- you have a clear reference point and clearly, you know, relatively regular, if if slightly irregular touch points with the with the healthcare system. So yeah. as I say, whether it's pathology, whether it's maternity, whether it's radiology, with everything that with the resources that you have with the company that you are at the helm of, what is your vision very practically for those patients for the future? I think the huge focus for us is around the integrated diagnostics. I think the concept of moving more and more towards the community diagnostic centers and actually being able to bring a lot of the services out into the community. And actually, again, if you look at some of the work that's been done in Northumbria, I think Sir Jim Mackey did a huge amount of work, particularly driven by COVID, about mm-hmm. returning services from the building in the middle of you know, of the middle of a geography out into the community. How do we actually treat patients out in the community? How do we deliver the services out into in the community? 
The systems that we build, the systems we provide need to evolve to be able to support care, any care setting. doesn't have to be within four walls of a building. Interesting. We have to be far better in mobile technology. We we look at areas about how do we connect up. I mean, one, we're all aware of the resource constraints that we have within the NHS. There, there is never going to be enough employees working in the NHS in any area to satisfy the need. But but we do also know that there are pockets of capacity that we could tap in and utilise better. So being able to join the systems better together in terms of how you deliver that service, how you move those out into the community, how do you understand across you know, the whole of, I'll take Greater Glasgow as, as an example, across the, the whole of Greater Glasgow, how do you, how do you enable better workflow across those organisations to deliver faster care, better care, better information. I think that's where we play. I think that's true of any of the systems that we have, our maternity system, our radiology systems, we have our consent systems, any of those systems is how does it follow and enable that mm -hmm. model of care to be actually be driven differently? And, and so that's a lot of our, our focus. It isn't about can I add the latest, greatest widget? because there's always another greatest, latest widget tomorrow. Mm. It's about what is it we should be doing with these systems to actually help get the end point that our clients are trying to get to. And I think we also have to stop looking short term. One of the things I'm, I'm very keen that we as an organization in, inside wellbeing are more aligned to is where is the NHS in five years, not where is it in five months? And that's where you have to as suppliers have a view. I think if I go back to my ISOF comments, I think that was one of the things that, that was incredibly powerful in ISOF that wasn't trying to solve tomorrow's problem. It was trying to look, and, and you'll get it wrong when you do that. You have to be ready to get it wrong and then change the journey. But don't try and just fix tomorrow. You are doing it as well, and I, th I think that's important. I think, the again, the story that you told about that good care I've actually heard two or three, even this week, of good experiences that have been linked up care and whether that's the di diagnostic element, the pharmacy element, integrating primary care and yep. secondary care, that I think, yeah, and you're right, we're just not, I don't think we're quick enough to to admit where it goes right and we're we're part of the we're part of the solutions to problems game aren't we and so we do end yeah. up in these conversations so often because we are perfectionists and we want the perfect systems so we're always going to be focused on the problem but i think it is important to mention that so much of the glue that holds all of this together and so much of the the systems that that um allow for the flow of information that you guys are part of works and is working and yeah, is delivering absolutely. incredibly good care to people and i think that is something that needs to be celebrated and i think we do have to call that out when we see it and so um thanks robert for coming on and talking about it and thank you for being positive and for talking oh, about visionary stuff being a good ceo and i wish you all the best I absolutely love what you're up to thank you very much it's been great to speak to you james thank you hey everyone thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.